0: Better work presentations are possible. They're called Canva presentations. You can supercharge your work decks with Canva presentations. Sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Just start with a prompt, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds, or with a stunning template and add images, graphics, charts, and data visualizations from their massive media library. You save time and you wow your audience. Mm -hmm. I have never made one of these presentations and I never will, but there's a reason why Canva (laughs) is used by 90% of the Fortune 500 companies. 90%! That's a lot of percent. Yeah, let's get it to 100%, guys. Come on. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations by heading to canva.com. Design for work. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, you know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. That's a lot of bees. Yeah. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. That's important. You want an affordable price.
1: Yeah, I do want one. Yeah,
0: if it's too much, well, that's just not going to happen. No. State Farm's on it. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. I'm lowering my voice. Mm, Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary.
2: Hi, my name is John Krasinski, and I feel effervescent
0: about being Conan O'Brien's friend. There it is. That's what I wanted to hear. That was spoken from the heart. I really believe this is the biggest thing to ever You are now passing me a 20. (laughs) It's It's relatively cheap.
3: Fall is here, hear the yell. Back to school, ring the bell. Brand new shoes, walk and lose. Climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are going to be friends. Never, we are
0: going be friends Hello and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend." Started out as a bit of a lark, didn't it, Sona? When we first started doing this, remember? We just were screwing around with two microphones. Yeah. And I don't even think, Mr. Gorley, were you even part of the project? I think I did like a- No. I don't think you were. were. driving.
3: I was a hitchhiker and you picked me up on like the way to the third episode
1: or something. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I
0: picked you up and uh, yes, you tried to murder me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but um, I got the knife away from you and then you said, oh, I also produce podcasts. Yep. I murder people that pick me up on the road.
1: I picked up a hitchhiker once. Who? really? Uh, in Hawaii, we were in Maui. Who's we? Me, Erica Brown, uh-huh. and Ashley Olivia, who used to also work on the show. Yeah. And I was like, we should pick him up. It's Hawaii and it's fun. And I and Erica was like, uh, he's a stranger. And I said, once we pick him up, he'll probably be fine. And he wasn't.
0: So, so okay, <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised because Erica Brown worked for sh- has worked for our show for many years, continues yeah. to work for us and lovely. And I had uh, lunch with her today, by yeah. the way. She's fantastic. She's the best. Very sensible, yeah. smart and sensible. If Erica Brown said, no, 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 don't pick up this person. This person seems sketch. Right. I wouldn't do it. You ignored Erica Brown, which was yes. your first mistake. Yes. You picked up this person, describe him.
1: So he was like just this regular guy. And I thought- Is this TAC? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, it's the that's person she married. how Tack and this I is, met. This is a cute meat. that's what it's called. Okay, uh, meet cute. Meet cute. A meet cute. Meet cute or cute mean, I suppose. It's
1: not a cute meat. it's a well, meet cute. Well,
0: okay, uh, let's, I like to quickly right? add, like I've heard it both ways, which oh, isn't true.
1: Right. Yeah.
3: You do a meat cute to meet someone's cute meat. Okay.
1: Is <laughs> I mean, cute like genitals? Oh, it could be, oh, okay. I'm not saying. All right, yeah. I'm sorry. What a
0: horrible euphemism for genitals. <laughs> I like your cute. You said it. Cute meat.
1: Yep. It was a meat cute to meat cutes.
0: <laughs> what? No. <laughs> this is awful. It was, no, no. It was a meat cute to, to see cute meat.
1: Yeah. And then I yeah. was, I, I translated cutes as like genitals. Like it's a meat, it's a, it's a. Meet cute. That's what I meant. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah. You need to get on the same page as being curly.
0: I don't understand what yeah. you guys are talking about at all. I've never been more disconnected mm-hmm. in a conversation in my, in my life, and this is a podcast.
1: <laughs> You're on and your
0: own podcast. <laughs> I'm on my own podcast, which apparently has a massive audience, and I talk <laughs> for a living, and in my personal and private life and, and public life. I've never had a conversation where I feel this lost. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Tell us what this guy looked like for okay, so sake. Okay, so he
1: was like this, just this <laughs> normal white guy. He was on the side of the road in Hawaii. When we picked him up, I was like, I'm sure we'll get to know him and it'll be fun and we'll become friends. We find out he's squatting in a house in Maui with his like partner and their kids. He uh, smokes a lot of meth, a mm. lot of meth, mm-hmm. goes to raves a lot does a lot of ecstasy. And every time he reached into his bag to get something, we were like, he's going to pull out a machete and he's going to kill <laughs> you all know what, of us. You know
0: what? Hard to use a machete in an enclosed space. You, it, think- you, you need to, there's an arc to that weapon. Yeah. I, would, yeah. I wouldn't worry. If I was in a car with someone and they had a machete, I'd say, do your best. All they're going to do <laughs> is do cut up. Best. Yeah, this is a rental. Go for it. It's got a low roof. You're not going to be able <laughs> yeah. to get the full extension. Go for it. Let's see. And then, as he damaged. yeah, as he tried to get at me, but kept hitting the seatbelt and the window. I'd just be laughing, like, "Keep trying, fucker." Yeah, antagonize
1: a, the guy with the machete. Yeah, come
0: on. He'd hit the headrest and go like, "Oh, mm, hijacker hit the headrest." Not <laughs> <laughs> And then I'd be like, "Try it again. Come on, buddy boy. Put your put your back into it." Oh. I would really taunt him. Um, so. <sighs> Wow. That was Uh, a stupid idea. So how did you get rid of old meth head Jones? We
1: drove, it. We, I was like, maybe he won't be in the car long. And then an hour and a half later. What do you mean? Drop him off at his stop.
0: Oh, so you took him to his stop.
1: Yes. Did you ever think of pulling
0: over to the side of the road and saying, can you get out? I'm worried about our left (laughs) rear tire. And then peel out. Did you think about doing that?
1: No, I never did that.
0: That's what I would have done. That, I've done that to my wife.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> I'm like I'm worried about that tire. Really? Yeah. And they like,
1: screech.
0: And then I get home first, and we watch what I want to watch.
1: Oh, um, you never picked up a hitchhiker. No, it's a good idea not to.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, n- I was never tempted to pick up a hitchhiker. Yeah, but what were we talking about before this? Uh,
3: meeting people's cute meat. Oh, great! I'm glad you a reminded meet, a me. A meat
1: cute, so that you could. Oh, I get why he's confused. What? Well, because I I said it's a meat cute. And then it was to meet cutes.
3: What's cutes?
1: That's what we're saying. Genitals. That was what we were saying.
3: But cutes aren't called genitals. I know, but we I was were thinking saying genitals. It that way. Genitals are called cute meats. Cute that's what meats. I thought. See, yeah. Matt,
1: I messed up. Matt, that's what oh, I thought. I okay. messed up. That's what up. I thought. All we right. know,
0: Sona. We know. Yeah. You don't have to keep yelling. <laughs> I messed up. It's a given. You know. It's like a porpoise shouting. <laughs> I'm all wet. We know. You live in the sea. <laughs> You know, it's not necessary. It's an octopus going, oh, I have lots of arms. We know, it's a camel, I could use a drink of water. We know, camel, we get it. It's a bird saying, Hi, oh, I have the ability to fly. We know, bird, it goes without saying. It's soup going, I tell you, I'm pretty hot right out of the microwave. We know, soup, that's what you are. And you're like, I've messed up. We know, you're Sona. The point is, nice. It's all good. It's all good. And you got to see my range of voices there, from a camel to a hot bowl of soup. Ah, the actor's life for me. That's what awaits once I can ditch this podcast.
1: Wait, so who's on the show today? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. Who are you? I'm a Pop-Tart.
0: See? (laughs) Didn't see that coming, did you? God, he's got so many voices. Hey, my guest Uh... today starred, as Jim Halpert on the Emmy award-winning NBC series, The Office. Uh, His new movie, (laughs) A Quiet Place Part Two, which he also wrote and directed, is in theaters right now. I'm very excited he's with us today. John Krasinski, welcome. We have an interesting history together. I'm not sure everybody's aware of it, but I'm just delighted Delighted for your success, delighted to have you uh, on the show and to talk to you about a million different things. I've been wanting to be on this show forever. I didn't know you had had
2: other people. I thought
0: I'd be his first guest Mm -hmm. because of how far we go back. We waited a long time. (laughs) And at first, I mean, first of all, I intended to start a podcast eight years ago and I said, John has to be the first one. (laughs) We waited six years. And then finally we're like, all right, all right Will
2: Farrell. let's go. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. Um, so, and I saw you a very long time ago, but I've been listening all through quarantine. You're the
0: heart and soul of this show.
1: Oh! Okay. Conan, did you hear that?
0: We didn't start recording yet, so. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm recording on my end.
0: Yeah, I know, oh. but we're having those tapes destroyed.
2: That just um, made
1: my whole day.
0: No, this is truly an honor. I know I've told
2: you this in emails, but I'll just get it out of the way. You are without a doubt, and I've said this to you, one of the biggest inspirations on my entire career because when I was in college, Mm -hmm. I never did everything, anything every night. I watched your show at 30 Rock every single night. And I watched how comedy could be both ridiculously silly and hyper-intelligent at the same time. And it was a brain explosion for me. So I immediately applied to your show. (laughs) That is
0: a really uh, sweet thing for you to say. I, I really appreciate that. And I, you know, it's funny is that you applied to be an intern on our show, so you were an intern. And uh, this is way back in 2000, you were an intern. And recently someone dug up like the Polaroid. Which yes. Like, all the interns have Polaroids up on their refrigerator, so we know their names and everything. And there was a thing that just said, John, it's this Polaroid of you looking about 15. Yeah. Um, or 50, depending on the angle that you look at it. Yes. <laughs> There's an angle where you're a very old woman. It's a weird angle. You don't see it often, but- It's like that,
2: was it Sports Illustrated where Michael Jordan, if you moved it, his head would move for
0: you. It was like one of those sport flick things. I was like, yes, yes. I've noticed there, John Krasinski, if you, depending on the angle can be, he can be an old Greek fisherman. There's so many things he can be if you just shoot him correctly. But uh, we had uh, this picture up of you. We found it recently. You were um, a young- eager fellow, uh, excellent intern. You were, I think a monologue and script intern. I was.
2: So I got the internship and then they, I think it was two, two days later, they said, so we're doing this thing where you have to apply to be a script intern. And I applied with an amazing woman named Lauren Pomerantz, who's mm-hmm. gone on to do many things mm-hmm. in this business as well. And that entailed, we were the only interns I think who got to go on the floor Because we had to hand out scripts and we had to be there for script changes. So I got to see all the rehearsals, all the
0: crying, all the laughter. (laughs) (laughs) No, there is. I remember, uh, I have a very clear memory of you being backstage. And I got to know you a little bit because you were always backstage when we read the jokes. And I always tried to keep it very loose. So I'm running, literally the band's playing. Max Weinberg 7's playing. I'm back behind the curtain. And you're standing there and you're... I'm reading through the jokes and you're sort of observing me read through the jokes. And then I read one joke and I wasn't sure about it. And I said, what do you think of that joke? And you were like, "Uh, I don't know, I think think it's pretty good. And I just, because you're a big guy and I know you're Irish Catholic (laughs) and you're from Newton and I'm from Brookline and it's rival towns, I thought, I have a sense of who I can do this with and who I can't. You said, I think it's okay and I grabbed you and pushed you up against the wall. and said, what the fuck do you know? And then let you go just as they said, Conan O'Brien, and walked out with a big smile on my face. And then you become, Um, This massive star and now, uh, you know, filmmaker, director, and (laughs) retroactively- (laughs) I'm suing you. (laughs) In fact, retroactively, I'm really afraid (laughs) that I fucked with the wrong guy. (laughs) I actually remember that, Uh
2: and there was more dialogue to it that I remember. Uh uh, At least my therapist and I have gone over it several times. And- (laughs) I said I think it's really funny, and I used to laugh at everything. And I think you thought I was kidding uh-huh. or just trying to stroke your ego, and instead right. I was genuinely laughing. And you push me up against the wall, and you go, "Is it? Is it funny? What is it that you kids do? Just go home and smoke weed and listen oh, to that- Pearl Jam."
0: <laughs> <laughs> And I'll never forget that. Okay. What do you know? What do you know? You just go home and smoke, smoke weed and wine, and listen to Pearl Jam. And then I remembered walking out and I used to feel like things backstage have to be insane for me to accept the reality of what I do for a living. But- uh, I totally understand. Yes, there've been so many times that people on the show have seen me, you know, uh, we have two, uh, we have head writers. There's Matt and there's, uh, and, and Mike Sweeney before him. I have physically fought them many times <laughs> yes. in the hallway, um, gotten them down on the ground. And there's a rough housing thing that comes... With our culture I don't know what it is But I always try And find people That are up for it And to this day Even as an uh, As an older gentleman Yeah My son is now Like 6'2 He's 15 years old And 6'2 I fight him regularly I need to fight people
2: (laughs) I remember it I remember Mike Sweeney Telling you that a joke Wasn't going on the show Mm -hmm. And you said It's going on I can pull it off And he goes We don't have time for it It's not going on And then he slowly Walked down the hall And you started stalking him Like a lion And (laughs) he turned And he went No The answer's still No (laughs) And then finally you bent over in Greco-Roman style yes. and I was holding the scripts at the copier and I was yeah, like, yeah. this is gonna happen. This and you, is- you <laughs> full tackled him.
0: Not like playful, like- No, no, no. I think his skull hit the floor. It had to, (coughs) yeah. And listen, for anyone listening, I know times have changed and you're not allowed to physically fight anyone in the office anymore, which I find we're just losing something in our culture. There's something important that's being lost here and it's it's tragic. But uh, you worked for us and then you leave and I remember this very clearly because it was so satisfying you were very well liked, you leave, we all wish you well. You come back like three years later, I, I can't remember exactly, as a guest, Yeah, to, as the first guest to promote The Office. That's right. And I couldn't believe how quickly, I mean, it's one thing for people to leave <laughs> and eventually do well, but it was insane how quickly you
2: did well. That day, I remember vividly, and then there are many pieces that are just holes because I blacked out several times. But I remember how surreal it was walking down that hallway that I had run down with goldenrod scripts and had these people go, oh – it is so good to see you. I'm so glad it's you and all these incredibly nice things. Then you came into my dressing room and I remember nodding
0: at you very much. And as I my, fought you. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> this isn't
2: over, exactly. you
0: punk. <laughs> What are you listening to now? Third eye blind. Um,
2: Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) But I I remember it was PT that used to pull the curtain, right? Yep. Paul. So he used to pull the curtain. And I remember he goes, we're all just, and the drums are going, and we're all just so proud of you. Go out there and get them. And he pulled the curtain, and I lost all consciousness. And I walked, I guess I- doddled up to you Mm -hmm. and you could see that my eyes had rolled back into my brain and Mm -hmm. you gave me the most firm, loving handshake and you went, it's going to be great. Just sit down.
0: It's going to be great. I remembered that's what brought me back. Yeah. And you were fantastic. And then I think we're all going to be watching The Office 50 years from now. It's not going to lose its luster because there's nothing about it that feels fake or okay, that was great in its moment, but you had to be there. If, if 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 anything, it's just continued to grow. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that has to do with how absolutely authentic
2: Greg made it. And I know that you and Greg go way back, but Greg, who created our show. Greg Daniels,
0: yeah. Were you guys roommates or just friends? No, Greg Daniels and I knew each other in college. We We got to know each other actually senior year, kind of late in college. Yeah. And then we decided we both wanted to try our hand in comedy and we were- at the Crimson, uh, right? No, no not the Crimson. The, the, the William Putin, good, I mean. Oh, good lord! No, no, no. no the there's Crimson. no comedy at the Crimson. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's reason, the, that's
2: the reason the, why I brought up the Crimson is because you told that prank story yeah. at an embassy NBC, NBC event. Yes, and I thought you were the Sex Pistols. I was like, that's the most <laughs> punk rock thing I've ever
0: heard. Yeah. Uh, well, Greg Daniels was part of that prank. The Crimson is the. Uh, the newspaper at at Harvard and it's a very serious place and everyone there goes on to win Pulitzer's instantly. And, and so it's, and, and then the Lampoon, which is the comedy uh, magazine is the opposite. So we decided to break in and Greg was there. I remember he was wearing (laughs) camouflage pants and we broke in when, and, and we stole that day's edition before it had gone out. And um, I ended up kind of getting arrested, but... You left everything but the telephone. I left everything but oh, I kept picking up the phone and going hello. The phone would ring occasionally, and like an idiot, I had to do a bit. So I'd pick it up and go hello, hello, front desk. No, Clark Kent's not here. I'll put you through to Perry White and hang up. And so they immediately knew something was wrong. But they also gave you a Pulitzer, which was so (laughs) which was so weird. Yeah, I didn't know uh, you could get a Pulitzer for being an ass. But anyway, we met at the Greg and I met at the Lampoon, and then we we decide. Neither one of us wanted to go out to LA alone. So we came out to Los Angeles, but we started out together. We had one really crappy car that we bought at the airport. (laughs) We bought a car at the airport, which don't do that. I bought, we bought one and we got tricked and we bought this, uh, an Isuzu Opal. We shared it and we shared an apartment and we shared. A, we had a desk that we sat on either side of at work, and that's um, yeah, it was like we were shackled together. But then he goes on. But and he drew the cup, right? Didn't he make you the he cup? He made that's been me on your the desk? cup that's been on my desk for 28 years. Um, we should have Greg on this show. What am I doing here? <laughs> Why don't you, I think you should move along. Could you get me? <laughs> Could you get me a cup of coffee, please? Oh. Uh, but
2: um, no, my point was to say that I, I think that it was so authentic, and to be honest, like you said, ahead of its time. In a way, too authentic, certainly for the network, and I've told this story, but it's, it was going to be canceled every single Friday. Yep. We had a very nice man who came down, and he said, "It's oh, I love it. Uh, we are not going to keep making this. It's a bummer. Um, and then you basically get a call, I guess, like over the weekend or something and says, all right, come back for Monday. We'll do one more. And I asked this guy for a DVD of the episode so I could prove to my mom that I was do- that what I was doing was real. So that she didn't think I was just like on a beach in California pretending to be an actor. And I still have that DVD. But I also remember, you know, a lot of people say we owe everything to the fans. But we genuinely owe the entire show to the fans because at the exact same time, iTunes had come out and iPods had come out. And I remember walking through New York. I went back to waiting tables after the pilot of the office. That's how, <laughs> that's how little confidence right, I had in Greg. Right. And a guy held up his iPod and he said, look, man, you're on my iPod. I said, A, what's an iPod? And B, why am I two inches tall on this small piece of tech? (laughs) And that's it. As soon as people bought a show that they could see for free on Thursdays or Tuesdays or whenever it was at the time, they had to keep the show on. So we had our fan base actually save our show.
0: You know, um, we went through the exact same thing, as you probably know, at late night before you got there. But in the early years, we were supposed to get canceled pretty much every week. And that's what I would read in the paper. And that's what people would tell me on the street. But what what I always... knew was that young people were saying, oh my God, that thing you did last night. And I'd say, that's really weird. Yes. Executives are telling me this is no good. And then I'm getting like a high five. Yeah, and uh, people f- come up to you and go, I'll cut you fool. And you're like, is that PimpBot? Is oh that, my- yeah, they're doing, they're <laughs> quoting stuff from the show. And, um. but I, I, this is a good lesson for people listening. You know, I'm sitting here, and I'm talking to John Krasinski and he's telling you, and he's right, because I know this from Greg, the office was a very tenuous proposition for the first year, uh, at Seinfeld was a very tenuous proposition. For the first year or two, um, some things are a big hit right away, and what happens is history gets rewritten. Yeah, so that's right. A world without The Office now seems impossible, but it almost didn't happen. It could have easily gone away. All one executive had to do was remember to cancel it, and it right. would have probably gone <laughs> yeah. away. But that didn't happen, so it becomes part of the culture. Yeah. And it's really uh, so important to people. And what I think is, and you can talk to this, you're very, and you and the cast, you're very funny in the show, but you're playing the reality of whatever's happening.
2: I also think there's an emotional undercurrent to it all. And I think that that feels very real because you don't always like your coworker. You are sort of intimidated by your boss. You do have feelings for people. And I think that undercurrent is something that the show scratches where people can identify themselves. Whatever walk of life you are, you can identify yourself in that and you can identify your coworkers and your friends and everything. So it feels like you're a part of the show. At least that's how I see it. And the biggest compliment for us, and again, I don't usually speak for the whole cast, but I think I can say this is especially during the past year. The greatest thing about this show is when people say, hey, that really got me through the hardest time of my life. Yep. Not a hard time, the hardest time in my life. I remember I had flown all night once on a red eye and this, um, this girl came up to me. She was very, very sweet. And she just handed me this note. She barely said anything. She said, hi, I don't want to bother you, but I just want to give you this note. And I thought, oh, that's nice. And I got in my car, I opened the note and it said, I just want to let you know my dad passed last week. And I had to tell you, that because of you, the last memory I have is of him laughing because the last week of his life, we just sat and watched The Office. He was very sick, and I just – that blew my mind. It still chokes me up to think about it now, but the the fact that you're not – it goes beyond entertainment. You're somebody's friend. You're somebody's comfort blanket. That's what I think is the beauty of the show and the most important thing to me and why it's such an honor to be a part of it.
0: I mean, you can't ask – there are nice things that come with show business, obviously, but – when you have that experience of someone saying to you, oh no, you're, I was very depressed. And then uh, I saw you and it made me happy and it brought me some joy. That thing that you made and you made it years ago. Yeah. uh, and, And so much has happened for you since then, but that's a gift that's gonna keep giving for you. You know, that's gonna, what's nice is that I think 20 years from now, when people have episodes of The Office implanted at birth into their brain, <laughs> it'll be mandatory. The government will make that happen. But
2: that's the thing. Again, you you owe it to Greg because he also recalibrated all of our <clears throat> level of storytelling. I mean, for me, the truth is I would never have done A Quiet Place if it wasn't for advice that Greg gave me years ago where he said exactly what you just said. I, I was very nervous and he said, you look weird. Is, is something going on. I said, Oh no, no, this is just my favorite joke in the script. I want to make sure I deliver it funny. And he went, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't deliver anything funny. You deliver it truthfully. And it's up to them out there in TV land, if they think it's funny or not. And if they think that a moment with you and Jenna is emotional or not, don't play emotion. Don't play funny. And so when I sat down to, uh, you know, rewrite the first script of a quiet place, I, I I said, I don't know how to do a, a scary movie. I don't know how to do scares. And I just thought, write what you know write characters that people fall in love with and whatever happens to them will be up to you and so as soon as i started writing this family and made it a family drama all the scares just laid themselves down it wasn't about trying to scare people it It was was organic yeah and fall in love with these characters and you'll be terrified to see anything bad happen to them
0: so now where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day huh
1: I don't know.
0: Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa
1: treatment? Where?
0: Well, you live there, California. (laughs) California, Sona. No matter where you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. If you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. I got to say, everywhere I go, people are talking about Monopoly Go. And for good reason. The pleasure. I have not seen a movie in a theater in whatever it's been, fifteen months, because of COVID. So I get the great news that you're g- going to do the podcast and you've agreed to the the terms, the finances. <laughs> the payment is made. <laughs> Took two uh, months, but we're here. <laughs> I can't believe you're paying me. Uh, I'm getting eight hundred thousand uh, dollars for John to be here. But anyway, um, I hear. Yeah would you would you like to see a, a quiet place too and I loved the first one and I said uh, yeah now I was dreading seeing this because for the last 15 months when I see someone's movie they send it to me on a special secure link can't do it and I watch it on my uh, computer my laptop and there's a watermark across the front of it that says Conan O'Brien that's nice on it and so what happens is there'll be sex scenes so these two attractive (laughs) people will be going at it in the and um. And my name just goes, wow, and it's very disturbing. Yeah. I don't know what that, it's, it's, and it takes me out of the film every time. And then it's also kind of erotic for me. But, <laughs> but the point is, I really didn't want to see the movie that way. And, I, and, and your office called and said, you can see it in this amazing Dolby theater, and you can bring a couple of people from your show. So we went yesterday First of all, Jen, you were at the screening yesterday.
1: Yes, I. That opening sequence was phenomenal. Like I Thank was in the so whole much. time. Uh, and you know, it so was so funny.
0: Fun. There was, I think, someone. We so we leave the theater and we tell the people there how much we love the movie, and then we're out on the sidewalk and we're just in uh, Hollywood Boulevard, which is streaks of urine. <laughs> um, it turned out it was mine. <laughs> so we're all chatting about how much we love the movie when someone walks by who either works for you or the studio and had kind of had overheard us. And I thought, most screenings I walk out of, I'm like, oh God, what am I going to say? You know? I mean, that's a lot of screenings I see. And this person walked by and I went, oh, thank, she heard that we actually were talking about how much we love the movie and how we actually thought it exceeded the first one and heard us really talking about it. And I thought we're busted, but in such a good way. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, we were just, uh, we were completely blown away. And I'm really glad you did the origin story of. Oh, thank yeah. That effect is, I've seen aliens show up in every different movie and I thought you guys found a oh, new scary, you. scary, quiet way for them to show up. And everybody's reaction was just, you know, it reminded me of like Roy Scheider. Scene That's in exactly
2: shark. what I based it on. Oh so really? The beach scene in Joss. Oh fuck. It's exactly. Because I remember right. there's this oh, part wow.
0: where you're looking and I'm like, this is Roy Scheider realizing everything is different. That's right. And you, everybody starts to run. Let's not run. Everyone starts quietly backing That's away, right. and I'm watching it, and I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> but in a way, I think so many people misunderstand that terror has to be used. I mean, it's like you have to be very careful calibrating that. That's exactly that right. Well, dial. I remember
2: when I was um, doing my first movie I was directing, I told my mom there was going to be something graphic in it, and she said – Yeah, just don't make it too graphic. You know, everybody's imagination is so far beyond anything that you can show them on film, and it's true. And so when you put something small like that in the sky,
0: people are like, what the... Behind clouds. Yeah. Behind clouds, and you can't quite see, but it doesn't look good. (laughs) And you just slowly... And I I thought that was really a testament to... I know that technically that's there in the writing, but it's also like, that's directing to me. That's saying, I am going to gently play with these dials and very and and so that but I, I can't believe that's what I thought of is Roy Scheider seeing exactly the right. shock and jaws jaws and then you saying that's what I was thinking about. Uh wow, I am a very good film critic. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. realized you are. Emily, your wife is brilliant as always. Thank you. And also I would think that be you're directing this movie, <laughs> your your wife is the lead. And There's pressure, like you can't shoot, you know, she's gorgeous. She's one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen, but you have to make, you know, it's like you, you don't want to, you want to make sure that you, capture her correctly right. because she's gonna really be pissed at you when you get home if, <laughs> totally. she, if she looks at the dailies and it's like what happened <laughs> totally well there's this
2: you know the there's a water scene I won't get anything away yeah. by the way I, I just blacked out again I, that is the kindest most amazing and coming from you genuinely it means so much more to me coming from you and I think the fact that I said if he's comfortable would he ever go to a theater I had to make that happen for you because I, I want it I mean obviously I'm going all over the country trying to say thank you to the people coming back to the theater. Yes, absolutely go see our movie, but go see movies. And so hearing that from
0: you was so, so amazing. The cinematography, it looks gorgeous. And there are moments in the movie that you know, Emily looks almost like a Renaissance painting. Like there's, wow. there's a sort of like a golden- like a Vermeer. Or something. Yeah, exactly. She's, uh, and, and, and um, but the kids in this film, uh, Millicent- uh, Simmons and uh, was it Noah Jupe? Yep. That's it. Um, They are Unreal. spectacular. Unreal. It's very hard for a child to find a good, you know, a child yeah. actor who, who can do what these kids can do. Oh, absolutely. Um, Because their roles are bigger in this film. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd always been told never work with kids
2: because they're the most unprofessional. They never learn their lines. They have school, they have all these needs and you're going to lose all your days. Well, I got two kids who are, without a doubt, not only two of the most talented people I've ever worked with, but two of the most incredible humans. They're so deep. I mean, if you really think about it on the first one, I believe they were 13 and 12. Right. And to even be able to process themes like uh, that level of loss, your dad's basically blaming you for said loss, things like that, not only could she process and know a process – but they were able to articulate it specifically in a performance was mental i mean it was yeah. just incredible so we were we were saving time i was the least professional person on the first one that's why i killed myself
0: um <coughs> spoiler. Hey, hey hey spoiler first of all, alert. let's yeah if you haven't seen the first one maybe he dies maybe he doesn't but he dies uh, uh, but you know what's crazy it's like we well, have to talk about this when you made the first one yeah. you didn't know there'd be a sequel uh i don't no, you know you not at all. you thought uh okay i'm going to try this and we'll see what happens and it becomes uh, you know, you write and direct this movie. It's a it's a massive hit. It's a critical hit. People love it. And you must have thought to yourself, "Now I'm going to do the sequel." Oh shit! I killed
1: myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why did I do that? I mean, and it's important that you did. In well, the first my one. agent yeah.
2: said that and called me immediately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you could have done the He's old like, look, Hamlet. It worked. You just bring you come back as a ghost, or else it's that other thing too that so many movies, um, just when the first one's a hit and the person's died, and I can think <laughs> of so many where it starts with the second one and you've basically been torn to shreds, but you slowly get up and go ah, and just Emily, out of a pile of yeah, goof. your wife comes running over and sews you up, and you're like ah, Tylenol, and then you're okay, yeah. You're okay. You walk with a slight Did you read the first draft of the sequel? (laughs) I did. You called me up and I went, I think I'd come back.
2: Oh God. Well, the funny thing was the first movie, I can't put too fine a point on it. It was, we made the movie for $17 million, which in the world of movies is very small. We had gone through a transition at the studio where there was a whole new batch of people who had nothing to do with making the movie, but now had the movie in their hands who were incredibly supportive, but they didn't know what it was. They had no idea. So we were going into this thing completely flying blind, and without a doubt, I think the highlight of my career was going down to Austin, Texas, to South by Southwest, and having 16 – I went from zero people seeing it, or maybe my wife, one person, and then 1,600 people saw it the next day. And we were driving over Mm -hmm. there, and I remember my wife said, can I ask you a question? My wife's like a weird, incredible sage, and she goes, Mm -hmm. one thing. You get one thing that you want to pay attention to tonight, and then let everything else go. And I said, okay. I said, uh, she's like, what's the one thing you'd like to see? And I said, well, I heard of some of these festival things they applaud at the end. That would be nice. Just if they like the movie, that would be nice. She goes, great. Then focus on that one thing and don't be talking. Don't be thinking about this note and that note and what you should have done. So I say, great. And then we get in there. And of course, everyone's dead silent through the movie. And I keep leaning over to Emily going, that's it. That's my career. It's over. And she goes, I think they love it. And I was like, they clearly don't love it. They're not making any noise.
0: And then- You shouldn't go to your own screenings, by the way, because people can hear you. This isn't- Is that John Krasinski? Isn't this his movie? This is a failure! I can't believe I'm Jim from The Office. John Krasinski, the guy you
2: know. And then at the end of the movie, she cocks that gun and- everyone jumped out of their seats and started shaking the seats, which I had never seen before. Right. And um, I have to talk to somebody about blacking out all the time, but I definitely sort of, everything became distorted. I have no recollection of what happened at that moment. And it was just a a wild thing. So my point was I was never going to do a sequel. The studio had asked and said, would you do a sequel? I said, no way, because that was the most personal movie to me. That to me was a love letter to my kids. That was about Mm -hmm. what would you really do for your kids and all that. And so- It really was the idea of making Millie the lead character in the movie. That became the thing that I thought, well, if we could do that, that would be pretty exceptional. Making the kids the lead of the movie sort of not only is it great because they can pull it off, but they represent all the themes and metaphors of the first one, like family, like carrying the mantle of the people in the generation before you better than they could and hope and all these amazing things. You know,
0: it's funny because you brought up – or people are asking you, were you going to make a sequel – and I think you can relate to this. There is kind of a Catholic Boston thing, absolutely. Of who am I to blank? Yeah, who am I to? And it's uh, the Irish call it tall poppies. That's exactly right. If you get a little too tall, it's in cult- It's called different things in different cultures. Too big for your britches. You get too big for your britches. And and I know that because you come from the neighboring town. We've talked about this before. You know, privately, but I'm from Brookline and our rival is Newton. That's right. And I used to run track against Newton uh, North. I used to run track. Right. there, Newton North, but sure. Newton Nath. <laughs> and uh, I was terrible, so they loved me in Newton North. Uh, but, um, and I do have a very strong memory of running distance there, running the two mile indoor at this new track they built. And then five years later, they said, we have to tear that track down because it's made of horrible asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> I realized Thanks to uh, Newton uh, If I go with a lung related ailment uh, everyone, I, will, every, I want everyone to go after Newton North right now
2: My wife actually asked me What's the difference between North and South Because we were going to see my parents And we were on in, uh, the Acela train from mm-hmm. New York to Boston And I said, oh, I don't know You know, it's, it's like a Boston thing Like You'll get it when you get there And she goes, well, what's the difference? And I kid you not, a guy behind me went John? John Krasinski? And I go, yeah, and he goes you're from Newton, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, not the South. And I went, uh, I'm from the South. And he goes, North. And then walked off the train. And I literally turned to
0: Emily and I went, Well, there's your answer. You bitter. bitter, a bitter, bitterly angry. Yes. People are, I mean, this is why humanity can never be saved. We will draw a line <laughs> down the middle of Newton, Mass. Call one north, the other south. And if you're from the wrong one, fuck you. Um, By the but, way, I think I told you the story. My, one of my favorite
2: Boston stories, because you know it's that thing of like, don't give too much. And it's not an aggressive thing. It's not a negative thing. Later in life, it becomes a negative thing. But in right. the moment, no one's trying to be malicious. But I was at South Station. Do you remember the old, you know, like the ticker? Yeah. The, it was like tick, tick. They would tell you when the trains were coming in, and it was the old one that spun. And I was sitting there waiting for a train back to uh, New York, and there was a guy who clearly had just gotten off a job site of some sort. He was covered in dust or or soot or something, and he had the old like dome lunchbox. It was like a perfect image. And he looked over, and he was wiping his face. And looked over, and he said the same thing. He goes. John? And I go, yeah. And he goes, John from The Office? And I go, yeah. And he goes, funniest fucking thing on television. And I went, wow, thank you so much. He goes, I'm not kidding. I watch it with my family every, every week. It's a family affair. And I went, wow, oh, it's so nice. And I went to shake his hand. He went, all right, all right. As soon as I went to make physical contact, he was like, I'm out of here. This That's is nuts.
0: <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> hey, by the way, I'm straight, just yeah. so you know. What uh, do you <laughs> think you're doing? <laughs> But that is so, It's. I, I'm bringing this up because there is a thing where it's this constant yin yang of I want to go for it, but who am I to ask for more than I've already been given? Exactly. And so for you to be in the office, that's enough for anyone in Boston. That's actually topping out on <laughs> too much, you know? And then you, you go off and you become this very successful writer-director and you can feel like okay, people might be. The office was good, but stay in your lane. Yeah, you know what I mean. Stay exactly. in your place, yeah. and and it's a very. Like I say, it's a very. Uh, I've encountered it many times there, where they're a little. They're they, they're excited, but they don't want to see you. But they don't want to show they're excited. Yeah. If you look at all like you were kind of expecting them to recognize yeah. you, they'll tear your head off.
2: <laughs> oh, I do this I do this bit with Matt I do this bit with Matt Damon called Bitter Boston guy. The first time we met, I left him a message and I went, "Hey Matt, how you doing? It's uh, Tommy O'Donnell. Just wanted to say we went to high school together. You probably don't remember me. Anyway, congratulations on all your success and your children and your wife and like it just gets more and more upset the better <laughs> your life is." Oh no, no, no. Congratulations
0: on Go Hunting. That was a very good movie. And it's just, everything's got the little, little edge. <laughs> I remember, uh, I, maybe I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it bears repeating. I was not long ago in a, in a, a nice hotel, uh, in Boston, um, and, uh, you know, in, in the bar. And I think I'm having drinks with my, my two of my brothers or something. And, uh, I go in to use the restroom. And I want to say a woman about 55, 60 follows me. I go to the urinal and then I hear the door open and she comes in and goes, Conan, Conan, you know? And I, and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm here. And she's, her attitude was, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I, what's the big deal? I'm just coming to say hi, I guess you're a big star. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with that. You're a woman, I'm at the urinal. <laughs> there are certain, <laughs> but I was the uptight. Yeah. Of course. Uh, celebrity, because- yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. And very- by the way, I was in that urine. I was, I, I go to the urinal a lot and I stay there for a long time and I think she was concerned. <laughs> and she had every right, because- it's weird.
2: Well, she heard the tinking. Something was like tinking. <laughs> it, it wasn't all liquid. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But the thing is, there's nothing I love more than being from Boston. That, so yeah. what we're talking about is a, is sort of a an edge to it. But it's it's, it's beautiful. The majority of people are the oh, I mean, they're the best. When I go back, yeah. it's incredible. It's
0: incredible. I, I I love it, and I but I love that there's an edge there. Exactly. And I, and I love that it's it's complicated with them and in a way it feels more honest it feels That's like exactly they're keeping right. it honest like you go back and you're not going to get away with uh you're not going to get away with any shit there yeah. which is i think uh to their to that town's credit but yeah i i was very um i it was interesting because i i when covid first broke out uh posters billboards were just going up for a quiet place part 2 yeah it was when it was just starting that eerie beginning mm-hmm. of the whole thing when wait a minute we do we wear a mask do we not wear a that's mask right. what is this is this going to last 2 weeks is it going to 3 weeks and one of the billboards has just stayed up for the entire 15 16 yeah, months crazy. and the movie didn't come out that's right because you were ready to go and i can imagine you put your heart and soul into this thing yeah. and it's ready to go and suddenly it stops yeah and it's uh I saw this billboard every day and I think it's still there. It's on the way uh, to the theater where we do our show now. uh, Yeah, totally The the Largo Theater. And um, I would see it every day and I thought uh, it must have been difficult for you on the creative side to have made this thing and what you want is I think this is really good and I'm ready for people to see it. And then everything is, yeah, okay. We don't know when this is gonna come out. But it's one of those amazing things where- this was,
2: this was bigger than all of us, what right. happened. You know what I mean? So I think that for me, a lot of the emotion got taken out by how black or white a decision this was. There was just the right thing to do. Right. Um, and I think that helped. I think where it really started to hit me was five or six months later when I tried to do something creative and there was something that I was holding inside that hadn't been let out. And so therefore, my creative process was very difficult. It was hard to... It's almost like you realize in this business you try to work really hard on something, it comes out, and then you use that energy to write something else and come out with something else. So if I was bouncing on trampolines, one was, one was missing, yeah. and I couldn't get to that next um, spot without it. And and it it is the reason why I fought so hard to be one of the first – I guess we're the first theatrical-only movie this year because – whether or not it was just in my head, I wanted to be a, an emotional bookend for people that yeah. this movie represented the end of – or the beginning of COVID and the end of sort of normalcy as we knew it. So let's have it be the representation of normalcy coming back.
0: Yeah. What's well, amazing too because – and I don't think I'm giving anything away here, but the film, the way it begins, it's uh, it's taking you into a world as it's changing radically. And I thought, yes, right this is actually a perfect i don't know metaphor a perfect um story about life freezing life yeah. suddenly stopping and then becoming something completely different and everything gets turned upside down that's the core of the story of <laughs> of what's happening there's the, all the, the obviously there's also a lot of um, you know emotional resonance in the characters but this is I, I couldn't help but notice and i think a lot of people would notice the similarities in sort of just what we've been through.
2: Yeah, absolutely. My favorite compliments in these screenings that we've been doing around the country is people felt so much more emotionally charged about seeing people step back into the normalcy. So seeing this girl walk down a train track, taking every single step, knowing the circumstances as she took steps were changing she was going to be the one to change things that it had an emotional resonance and i think that for me that's what i hope if there are correlations you know clearly there are weird correlations that we never intended but if there are correlations the the correlation i hope everybody takes is that of hope you know that idea of courage and bravery and community and how the only way to get through the darkest times is to do it together
0: well what i want to stress (laughs) to everybody who's listening is It is such, I was so engaged as an audience member. I mean, it is a great story. And these themes are all there. Everything you're saying is there. But if you, I was just so thoroughly in the story the whole time. That's awesome. And then you managed to get these two threads of the story going, which run along the same time as each other. And each one is terrifying. And they're both going at the same time. And uh, I thought that was just, I mean, I, I thought that was masterfully done. Thank you so much. I mean, so not much. that I'm not a movie critic. I just, as an audience member and, and as someone who- Well, you are now and I'll take it. So thank <laughs>
3: you. I'll take it.
0: Nope, actually I'm you're the, the best movie critic. Thank you so much. I'm the greatest movie critic of all time. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just absolutely uh, delighted for you. And, thank you um, so much. And I think, and, I, and I, I also have to say, I can't, it's I I I can fathom a lot of things, but I can't. My whole life has been dedicated to create something and then see it realized mm. later that day, mm. or maybe maybe a couple of weeks later, yeah. or maybe a month later. Yeah. But that's about as far as I can think. Right. You were there with us in that process in that world, and then you moved on to something like the office, which every week is is every week, which still feels. Uh, like a very different situation yeah. than what, you know, anything I've ever worked on. Um, and, and the work that you and Greg did there is quite different from my little think of it. And then you see it an hour later, but now you're working on something where you're writing and directing and the time span is about two years, is two years for a movie. But by, by the time you write
2: it, direct it and edit it and then release it, it's about two years
0: that I can't understand. Yeah. I can't understand you <laughs> going to a screening to see, would you describe going with <laughs> Emily to, well, I put two years of my life into this. Yeah. Now let's see if people like it or not. And, I, and the verdict will come in in an hour and 40 minutes. Exactly. I don't understand that. No, it's
2: terrifying. And then the funny thing is a friend of ours said- you know I'm really sorry That you had to pull the movie And I told him That it's the right thing to do And he said no But you have to admit It's it's a, such a long process It's almost like You were having a baby Yeah The doctor pulled it out Said it's a boy Then jammed it back into you And said <laughs> By the way I'm not quite sure When I can take him
0: back out and
2: you're like Wait
1: wait what
0: <laughs> Well that's a horrifying image Yeah well, I want to apologize. That's, that's Quiet Place Part Three, so yeah. it'll be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, uh, a Quiet Place uh, Part Two. I, I please go. Well, do yourself a favor. I'm not. I'm. I'm just telling you as someone who loved being entertained when I saw it and uh, really enjoyed it, and I'm delighted. I'm delighted for you. And you sent me a picture. Uh, I mean, on every level. I think it was a Halloween picture you sent me a while ago on my phone, and it was you with your kids and you guys were all in costumes and and it was just like, oh, you're having that experience. I I mean, I forget. I forget sometimes because I'm someone that believes only show business is important. (laughs) Uh, And uh, children, I mean. I don't see the point, and I tell them that every day, uh, <laughs> and that's why you fight, and that's why we fight. They're like, "Dad, love us," and I'm like, "I don't see the point," and then a fight ensues. Um, but uh, I'm just across the board uh, delighted for you, and you deserve it, and oh, man. To, for me to have been seeing you at the very beginning of this journey, and 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 see where you are now, uh, and know that I, if I tried to fight you right now, I think six massive guys. <laughs> who work for the movie studio (laughs) would take my head off and uh, shit into my skull. Um,
2: (laughs) Well, listen, I, and again, I, I know I said at the beginning, this moment for me is, is amazing because being here and talking about all this stuff with you feels like not only talking to a friend, but talking to someone who's not only been there from the beginning, but has been there in a way every single step of the way with me. So I really, really appreciate it.
0: All right, well, John, be well. Thank Go you so out, much. Go out, continue to do good work. Thank you. And- uh, Huge c- hello to the family. Uh well, yes, I will pass that along. I'll tell my agent and he'll talk to them. <laughs> oh, oh wow. We don't talk directly. God, this it's- is getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> it just simplifies things. Yeah, you're right, you're yeah. right. Thank you so much, John. Thank you, this yeah. is awesome. Valvoline Instant Oil Change is the quick, easy, trusted place for your next oil change. Valvoline's convenient, no appointment needed. You can even stay in your car while they do the work. You don't have to sit in some waiting room, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're friendly, certified technicians, have over 270 hours of training, and they get you in and out fast while performing a thorough, free, 18-point maintenance check with your oil change. we got someone here who just experienced this, our own Aaron Blair. Blair, well, how was it?
3: It was awesome. I took my Jeep uh, jock jams in and got a sweet oil change, and uh, and I actually brought a book, because I thought it would take a while and uh, they had me in like 15 minutes it was awesome well also you should point out you can't read I can't So, but I wanted people to <laughs> you, think I could
0: yeah but I mean you know. uh, come on yeah maybe somebody hot is there illiterate. they're like oh what
3: are you reading I'm like oh and then, then you know now
0: I've I'm, I got a date yeah, yeah I don't but think uh, that's, gonna, that's not how people meet each other didn't, didn't have time for that yeah so if you see Blade driving around in his beautifully oiled jock jams <laughs> give him the old thumbs up <laughs> or throw a tangerine at him <laughs> Anyway, uh, Valvoline, they're doing it right. Visit valvoline.com slash Conan for an exclusive offer towards your next oil change. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time. Don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up. And I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I, it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com Conan.
3: Guys, a few episodes ago, we inadvertently stumbled upon a new segment called Sound Effects Theater, where Sona and I set up environments. And uh, Conan, you made the sound effects of the things in that environment, but only using spoken word.
0: Yeah. I decided that too much work and trouble goes into, you know, for movies and TV shows and radio shows, especially podcasts, trying to recreate the actual sound. Of a door opening uh, or a cat walking. And so I decided, why don't you just have someone say, Door open, you know, and people will get the idea. It's
1: genius. Well, you know what?
0: I know you're being sarcastic. Yeah. But I think I might be onto something because we should try to make podcasts in particular as easy uh, for everyone to use and to create. <laughs> that would be more democratic. Let's This is a favor we're doing. Not everyone has to go out and buy special effects or download them on some computer. Do it my way. And I think we demonstrated with our episode that it really works. It's It, it got a huge response.
3: Uh, what it did. But you're doing Sound effects theater as an act of charity.
1: <laughs> no,
0: as a man who's not afraid to look at something and say, "Why can't it be different? You all look at what is and go, "That is." I say, couldn't it be something different? That's what makes me a visionary, in my opinion. Okay.
1: Oh, okay. Right. Well, you said it was what? You said we did a good job, like it was successful? It, was it blew up. Awful. Oh, but we did uh, Matt, a terrible Matt, job it with
0: was.
3: it. Matt, Didn't it was. It was a big hit.
0: I've had people stop me on the street and ask for more sound effects theater, and I've said, sorry- um, it's a lot of work and I don't have time for that kind of foolishness and then as I walk away I go walk away walk away walk <laughs> away walk away kills every time
3: <laughs> okay so the last time we did this was on the Seth Rogan episode if you want to check it out but um, I'm just going to throw something out in an environment Sona will and I will be in that environment we'll set like, you up for sound effects are you guys ready no.
0: um, yeah I was born to do this
1: I'm not okay. I'm terrible at improv I, I think no you're not that no, should already you're really, be yeah.
0: you really it can't
3: no. be any worse than the Sound effects. You don't have anything to worry
0: about. Yeah, okay. Laugh all you want, but I think I'm on <laughs> <Okay>. something.
1: Alright,
3: <sighs> alright. Let's say this time uh Okay, we're we're on the a battlefield. Oh. Alright. Sergeant Mofsessian, hand me the Colt forty five pistol. Yeah,
1: uh yes, the cur- colonel? Yes, I mean, can't
3: you see these birds on my helmet? You're Go right. Back, talk to Sorry, me. hand me the colt.
1: What? The whole wait, wait. Wait a minute! You can't even wait. No, no, how no am come I'm on! The sound this effects? is
0: so stupid. No, no! How about doing the sound effects if you can't even
1: talk? I can talk. I just <laughs> I've never been. On he gave you, and also people. it's not like uh, improv already, is all about making an interesting
0: choice. He gave you a direct order. I know. All you know. have to do is say yes, <laughs> that makes sir. That it so you, easy. You struggled with his imaginary rank. <laughs> How are we supposed to make any progress? <laughs> he literally—it's just a yes, sir. Here you go. Not like oh, uh, uh, okay, <laughs> mm, Colonel, who I met in Indianapolis.
1: <laughs> you don't have to do that. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, Let's I'll, try it again, I'll do and it. Uh, you I'll know, simplify. Okay. Just okay. keep it
3: simple. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Sergeant Mufassir, unholster your Colt forty-five.
1: I uh, will do that, Colonel. Unholster.
3: Now, please cock the slide of the weapon and chamber around.
1: Sure thing.
3: (gasps) Did you just call me a cock?
1: (laughs) My gun did. I'm sorry.
3: Okay, sorry. All right. Now I would like you to discharge your weapon at the target.
1: Yes, Colonel. Fire shit!
3: (laughs) I think your gun just sneezed. Bless you. Is your gun okay?
1: I don't know, Colonel. It's, It's acting up weird, so let me... I'm smacking it so that it'll work better. Rattle, rattle,
3: rattle. All right, we're going to move on to something bigger. I would like you to set up the M60 machine gun.
1: Yes, sir. Tape on, unfold.
3: Please cock it.
1: Uh, yes, sir. Cock.
3: What did you say to me, Sergeant Mavsessian?
1: I'm so sorry.
3: Look in my eyes. That's two strikes. You get one more chance (laughs) at this. Please fire multiple rounds of this machine gun.
1: Oh, yes, sir. Repeat fire shoot! Repeat fire shoot! Repeat fire
0: shoot! Repeat fire shoot! Repeat fire shoot! Repeat fire shoot! Repeat fire shoot. Oh.
3: All right, Sergeant, Mo. Oh, no! Incoming fire! Oh, no! Get down! No. Artillery! I'm getting
1: down! Flowing impact!
3: Plays! Yes! Oh. Sergeant, Sergeant, I'm hit. Can't you hear the blood geysering out of my veins? I can. You spill. Spill. Oh, I'm not well.
1: It <laughs> sounds really well. bad.
3: Pump-a-pump-a-spill, pump-a-pump-a-spill, pump-a-pump-a-spill.
1: You said geysering, and it sounds like it's just dribbling out.
3: Yeah, it seems weird, right? Yeah. Let me listen again. Pressure <laughs> pour, pressure <laughs> pour. That's pressure more like it. Yeah, pressure <laughs> pour.
1: Dang. Oh my God, let me get a bandage and wrap that up for you, sir.
3: Rip the out.
1: You took my heart
3: out. Why are you doing that? It's the bandage, you idiot. Oh my god, did you hear that? I'm
0: a talking bandage.
3: Wait, what? What? Wilbur the talking bandage? What just
1: happened?
0: A new advanced (laughs) bandage that can talk. Wow. It has a small chip. We're made by
3: Google.
1: Alright, what should I do now, Colonel? Uh,
3: Just just stitch me up and then we gotta do this quick because we need to call in an airstrike on the radio. So could you dial up the uh, the uh, home headquarters? Yes, sir. Road to return. Road to return. Answer. Answer.
1: And sir. Is there anybody there?
3: Headquarters. Headquarters. This is Delta Nine calling. Delta Nine to headquarters. Voice. Voice.
0: Voice. Voice.
3: Well, <laughs> that's them, all right. Voice. Otherwise, voice. it wouldn't be a voice. Yeah.
0: Voice. <laughs> voice. Voice, uh, voice, uh, voice. Uh, period.
3: Alright, we'd like you to send in some uh, napalm at my coordinates. Niner, Niner, Delta, Niner. Oh. I don't have a lot of confidence Bombed in this. Doors no. open. It's
1: a weak sounding bomb.
3: Oh no, it's headed right for us. Explosion. death of one of you. Oh. <laughs> Can oh, it be me, please? Oh, please let it be me.
1: Please. No, 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 no. I'll, please, what I'll take it. You I'll take did? one for the team. I'll take no, one no. for the team. Come on, rock, scissors, paper. No, one dead
3: no other alive. we need you. Okay. Rocks is one, two, three. Oh shoot! Oh, scissors, scissors. <laughs> what does scissors sound like anyway? <laughs> snip a, snip a, snip a cut. That's right, snip a cut. Okay, snip one, a- two, three.
1: Oh, I get to die.
3: God, you're so lucky. I can hear your last breath coming out of your mouth. Exhale. Spirit,
0: spirit. go to hell.
1: <laughs> oh, what
3: the fuck? <laughs> you <laughs> shot with me. Come on, man. <laughs> and mentioned it on previous episodes. let see. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Sessian and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Wolf. Emmy award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Life
2: is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
1: of a detour.